hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm. What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. When it comes to cancers that exclusively affect women, breasts and ovarian cancer usually take center stage. But uterine cancer, also known as endometrial cancer, is the fourth most common cancer in women, and it is the most common gynecologic cancer. Roughly 3% of females in the United States are going to be diagnosed with uterine cancer in their lifetime. Three out of 100, just far more common than ovarian cancer, but it's not mentioned nearly as often. Part of the reason why that's the case is that unlike ovarian cancer, uterine cancer is far more likely to be diagnosed and treated in its early stages, which means long-term survival is likely. So that's great news, but we all know that good news is far less likely to be in the news. But for the 66,000 U.S. women that are expected to be diagnosed in 2023, the inevitable hysterectomy and often post-surgical radiation and chemotherapy are a very big deal. And what is newsworthy is that over the last 15 years, while rates for colon cancer, lung cancer, and other cancers have decreased, the rates for uterine cancer have increased, increased by 12%, primarily due to an increase in Black and Hispanic women. Black women die of uterine cancer at twice the rate white women do. I mean, this is unacceptable. This is important stuff, and it's worth a listen because unlike a lot of other things, this one is in many cases totally preventable. So in this episode, I'm only going to talk about the most common kind of uterine cancer known as endometrial cancer. Endometrial cancer starts in the lining of the uterus and is often, but not always, associated with an excess amount of estrogen. There are other types of uterine cancers that are far less common, such as leiomyosarcoma, I'm not going to include that today. So I'm going to cover four topics, risk factors for uterine cancer, specific things you can do to decrease your risk, the number one symptom of uterine cancer, and finally, what you need to know if you've already been diagnosed. So starting with risk factors, here's a rundown, quick rundown of things that are known to increase the chance of developing uterine cancer. And it's actually a pretty long list, starting with age, and then there's obesity, polycystic ovarian syndrome, genetic mutations, having another cancer such as breast or ovarian cancer, sugary drinks, chemical hair straighteners, unopposed or inappropriate postmenopause estrogen therapy, diabetes, never having been pregnant, early onset of periods, and a late menopause. Now, obviously, a lot of these risk factors you can't do anything about, like your age. And it is true that the risk of uterine cancer increases as women get older. The average age to develop uterine cancer in this country is 61, which means that most cases do occur after menopause. But 25% of cases occur in premenopause women or perimenopause women. So don't get falsely assured just because you're not in your 60s or 70s. 
what most of the risk factors I mentioned have in common is an overload or an imbalance in estrogen that causes a buildup in the lining of the uterus, which in turn increases the risk of developing either a precancer or cancer down the road. Having obesity is the number one risk factor. Yes, women who have a healthy weight also develop uterine cancer, but women who have obesity are at much higher risk, and here's why. I mentioned that a main risk factor for uterine cancer is an excess of estrogen without adequate opposition by a progestogen. Fat cells make estrogen. Women with obesity generally have a lot of extra estrogen, which in turn can cause an abnormal buildup in the lining of the uterus. Obese women are four times more likely to develop uterine cancer than women of healthy weight. Obesity is the most likely reason for the recent rise in uterine cancer in this country, because right now over 40% of US women have obesity and those numbers are going up. But it's not just fat cells that can cause a hormonal imbalance. Normally what's supposed to happen is that ovulation, which is the monthly release of an egg, triggers the production of progesterone, which in turn prevents the uterine lining from getting too thick. But if someone isn't ovulating, the lining of the uterus gets blasted, blasted with estrogen, and there's no progesterone to balance it out, which increases the potential for cancerous changes. Anything, anything that throws off this estrogen-progesterone balance can cause an abnormal buildup in the uterine lining. Um, young women with polycystic ovarian syndrome very often do not ovulate and can get an abnormal buildup. And in fact, in those rare cases that we see uterine cancer in young women, very often it's the woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is why it needs to be treated even if someone is not bothered by the fact that they're not getting regular periods. Also perimenopausal women. Perimenopausal women commonly are still making estrogen, um, but they're often not ovulating or not ovulating regularly, which is why they have an increased risk of an abnormal buildup. Postmenopause is a different scenario. Postmenopause women who develop an abnormal buildup um, are not making their own estrogen. In many cases, they're women who are taking estrogen, but they're taking it without an appropriate progesterone. So if we go back to the 1970s when estrogen therapy uh, was first recommended, at that point, women were not told to take a progesterone. They were just given estrogen. And it was in the 1970s that they realized that the risk of uterine cancer was almost tenfold in women who were taking estrogen, which is why they started routinely adding progesterone. Postmenopause hormone users that are most likely to get into trouble are women who are using compounded hormone therapy or a progesterone cream or pellets. So if you're in that club, check out episode 35, compounding hormones, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But just to emphasize the point, in one study published by the North American Menopause Society, there were four cases of endometrial cancer in women who were using compounded hormone therapy compared to zero cases of endometrial cancer in women who were using standard commercial products. And just to be clear, Women that are using those standard commercial 
uh, bioidentical hormone therapy that have both estrogen and appropriate progestogen, they actually have a decrease in uterine cancer compared to the general population that's not using hormones at all. So the only increase with hormone therapy is seen in women who are using compounded hormones and pellets or inadequate progestogen. So moving on, it appears that those super sweet sugary drinks may be another thing that can increase risk. In one study, uterine cancer occurred almost 80% more often in postmenopause women who consumed four or more servings of sugar-sweetened drinks compared to women who consumed no sugar-sweetened drinks. And this increase in uterine cancer associated with sugar drinks, it occurred even in thin women. So evidently there's something about those sugary drinks other than causing weight gain that increases the risk. Chemical hair straighteners. Chemical hair straighteners are a huge problem. In a 2021 study of 34,000 women that were followed for over 10 years to identify risk factors for uterine cancer, they found that women that used chemical hair straighteners more than four times a year had twice the risk, twice of developing uterine cancer. And it didn't matter if it was a salon product or a DYI product. And it's not clear what specific chemical in straighteners is the problem. So it's not like you can look at the box and check it out. But these products, I mean, they're loaded with hormone disruptors and other toxic chemicals. And this association was particularly strong in black women because black women are more likely to use these chemical hair straighteners due to aggressive marketing campaigns in black communities that convince women that straight hair is more desirable than natural curls. And it's part of this study um, the scientists did make adjustments for other known risk factors like physical activity, obesity, and alcohol use. So the hair straightener factor was real and is one of the reasons that uterine cancer is more common in black women. But on the good news front, there have recently been a number of lawsuits against the companies that market these products. So hopefully, fingers crossed, these products will completely disappear from the market. I also mentioned that women who have breast cancer are at increased risk. Now, part of that may be because women who have breast cancer often take tamoxifen to decrease the risk of recurrence, and, de and tamoxifen can stimulate the lining of the uterus, cause a buildup, and increase the risk of uterine cancer. The risk is really low, and when it does occur, it's almost always early stage and curable, but it is there. So if you're taking tamoxifen and you have some spotting or bleeding, be sure and check it out. And then finally, some women have a genetic predisposition. Lots of women have heard of the BRCA mutation that's associated with an increased risk of breast and ovarian cancer. But the BRCA mutation is not the only genetic mutation that's associated with familial cancers. If you have multiple family members with colon cancer or uterine cancer, your family may carry a Lynch mutation, which not only increases the risk of gastrointestinal cancers, but carries up to a 71% lifetime risk of developing uterine cancer compared with 3% in the general population. All right, so now that you know all these potential risks, what can you do that's actually going to decrease your risk? Well, again, yeah, I mean, you can't do anything about your age or when you first got your period or went through menopause. You can't change your genetics, but there are things you can do. I mean, obviously maintaining a healthy weight, avoiding hair straighteners and banning sugary drinks. But 
there are some other specific things that are going to dramatically decrease the risk of getting an abnormal buildup in the lining of the uterus. If you're premenopausal or perimenopausal, your choice of contraception can have a dramatic impact. Turns out an intrauterine device is not only an excellent method of contraception, but IUDs that contain a progestogen prevent that abnormal buildup in the uterine lining. So women that use a hormonal IUD, such as Mirena or Liletta, actually have a significant decrease in the lifetime risk of uterine cancers and precancers. I mean, these hormonal IUDs work so well that they're sometimes even used to treat precancerous changes. This is also why hormonal IUDs can be used as a progesterone substitute in women who are taking postmenopause estrogen therapy. It's not overstating it to say that a progesterone IUD may well be the best defense against developing uterine cancer. But birth control pills are another option. You know, there's still women out there who think that taking birth control pills increases the risk of cancer when the exact opposite is true. I mean, it's a fact. Women who use oral contraceptives, birth control pills, have a significantly lower chance of developing uterine cancer, and by the way, also ovarian cancer, than women who've never taken birth control pills. And it makes sense. You know, you're taking a perfect balance of estrogen and progestin, which is an excellent way to prevent any abnormal buildup in the lining of the uterus. Women who use birth control pills for at least one year decrease their risk of uterine cancer by a whopping 50 to 80%. This protection lasts. It lasts for 15 years after you've stopped taking your birth control pill. So taking pills for contraception or to control perimenopausal hormonal fluctuations, it's good for you, really good for you. Exercise and being really active um, is good for everything, including making a difference when it comes to uterine cancer. In addition to maintaining a healthy weight, it turns out that getting off your butt and hitting the gym and generally moving throughout the day will dramatically decrease your risk. All right, smoking. For the sake of completeness, it's a strange but true fact that smoking decreases the risk of uterine cancer. I mean, this is literally the only good thing you can say about smoking. But since smoking increases the risk of lung cancer, increases the risk of heart disease, increases the risk of osteoporosis, and dozens of other major medical problems, it's hardly a winning strategy. In other words, not a reason to start. So I mentioned the whole genetic mutation connection. And obviously you can't change your genetics, but you can make some decisions if you know your genetics. So if you've not had that conversation with your family, it's time. And yeah, if someone says, oh yeah, grandma died from cancer down there, you have to do your best to get a few more details. Again, the primary genetic mutation associated with uterine cancer is the same mutation that's associated with familial colon cancer. So be sure and ask not only about uterine cancer specifically, but colon cancer as well. And genetic testing, it's so important. It can be life-saving, not just for you, but for your entire family. All right. So how do you know if there is a uterine cancer lurking? What are the signs that you might actually have a precancer or a cancer? Other cancers, they have vague symptoms like fatigue, weight loss, or bloating that can be subtle or missed. I mean, lots of cancers have no early signs at all. 
Some cancers are only detected by a blood test, an x-ray, a pap test, or a gynecologic exam, or they're completely silent until an advanced stage. But uterine cancer? Uterine cancer announces itself in almost every case early on with abnormal vaginal bleeding. You can't miss vaginal bleeding. You can ignore vaginal bleeding, but you're not going to miss it. And 90% of women with uterine cancer report retrospectively that they had abnormal bleeding. I mean, think about that. How many cancers practically put up that kind of a billboard that can't be missed? And when you think about what makes cancer scary, it's generally not the cancer as much as having no way of knowing if you have cancer until it's been around long enough to be really serious. Or, you know, you need to stay on top of your early screening tests like a mammogram or colonoscopy. But uterine cancer announces itself. There is nothing subtle about a big red stain on your underwear. The real problem is if that early warning announcement, again, gets ignored. Now, one scenario in which heavier abnormal bleeding gets ignored is in the case of fibroids. A lot of women have uterine fibroids and they are not cancerous, but lots of women who have fibroids bleed heavily. So they assume or their their doctor assumes that any heavy bleeding is because of the fibroids, but you can have more than one thing going on. So yeah, you might have fibroids, but you also might have an unrelated precancer or cancer. So what that means is if you are pre or perimenopausal, even if you have fibroids, even if you normally bleed heavier than average, any persistent variation from your normal monthly flow needs to get checked out. Heavy bleeding, constant spotting, or frequent bleeding, they may all indicate a problem. Now, I'm not talking about missing the occasional period or that once in a while episode of spotting or someone who, you know, is perimenopausal and they've got a late period or that one-off heavy period. I mean, more often that's just part of perimenopausal hormonal fluctuations or maybe stress. I'm talking about persistent changes or dramatic changes. And once you're post-menopause, once it's been 12 months without a period, any bleeding, even if it's just spotting, is considered to be abnormal. Now, I want to emphasize 90% of abnormal bleeding or postmenopause bleeding is not an indication of uterine cancer. So if you see red and you're not supposed to, don't panic, just don't ignore it. And if it happens more than once, but your doctor brushes you off and says, hey, no need to check it out, check it out anyway. While an ultrasound will show thickening, the only way to know for sure what is going on is to do a sample, a biopsy from the lining of the uterus. But before we go there, I just want to give you a reminder that blood on toilet paper does not always mean it's even coming from the uterus. In episode 40, peri and postmenopause bleeding, I get into the details of all the places bleeding may be coming from, how to know where the bleeding is coming from, and the different things that can cause abnormal bleeding that are not cancerous. And most important, what kind of testing needs to be done to figure out what's causing it. So if you haven't already done so and you're having some bleeding, take a listen to that episode. And virtually every case of uterine cancer I've diagnosed was in a woman who had abnormal bleeding. 
And the sad cases, they're always the ones that ignored it for years, mostly because they didn't know it was a sign of possible cancer or they were just too scared to get it checked out. I had one woman who bled every single day for a year before she came in. And when I asked her why she ignored it so long, she said, well, you know, I was really worried that something bad was going on and I just couldn't deal with the idea of having cancer and needing treatment or that I might die from it. So I just ignored it. Well, it turned out that she did have a cancer. It was a stage one cancer super early and she was completely cured after treatment. But I mean, she went through a year of hell because she was so sure that she was going to die from it or have to go through some horrible treatment. So let's assume you're listening to this because you've already been diagnosed with a precancer cancer. I mean, what does it mean? What's going to happen? Let me start with the precancers. The medical term for precancerous changes in the uterine lining is endometrial hyperplasia, which is essentially the condition in which the uterine lining gets excessively thick and develops abnormal cells. The risk factors for endometrial hyperplasia are the same as for cancer and include women who don't ovulate, women who have obesity, and postmenopause women who take estrogen without an adequate progestogen. Some women develop hyperplasia and they have no risk factors, or at least no known risk factors. Women with hyperplasia generally have heavy bleeding, postmenopausal bleeding, or irregular bleeding. But one typical scenario in perimenopausal women is that after months of not getting a period and assuming that they are done, 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 out of nowhere, they get not just a period, but the heaviest period of their life. And that's because during all those months of not getting a period, they were still making enough estrogen to cause the uterine lining to get really thick. So if you don't bleed for months and then you get the period from hell, it may be an indication of a buildup from abnormal cells. So that's when you absolutely need to get checked out. Now, there are different kinds of hyperplasia, and the type of hyperplasia determines the potential for uterine cancer down the road. In other words, not all hyperplasias are precancerous. Hyperplasia without atypia, without atypical cells, means that no precancerous cells exist, and the progression to uterine cancer is extremely unlikely. Hyperplasia without atypia can usually be treated with medication or even placement of a progesterone IUD. Hyperplasia with atypical cells, on the other hand, is more serious and is considered to be precancerous. While treatment with medication is usually successful, 28% of women with atypical changes will go on to develop uterine cancer. And in fact, all women with hyperplasia with atypia really need to have a DNC in addition to the office endometrial biopsy to make sure that no cancer cells are already present. And that's why many women who have hyperplasia with atypia decide that they want to go ahead with the hysterectomy, particularly if they're postmenopause. But If someone would like to avoid surgery, medical treatment with an oral progesterone or sometimes the progesterone IUD is an option. And that decision is made based on personal risk factors and the ability and willingness to have close surveillance. And that situation is absolutely best managed by a gynecologic oncologist. So if you've been diagnosed with uterine cancer, the main thing you need to know is that this is generally a highly highly curable cancer. Five years survival for women diagnosed when their cancer is stage one is over 90%. 
One of the reasons that Black women are approximately twice as likely to die from uterine cancer compared to other groups is because it's detected at a later, less treatable stage. So increasing awareness and getting any abnormal bleeding checked out is the only way to turn around those numbers. A hysterectomy, as I mentioned, is usually curative. Um, but patients with a later stage or high risk disease sometimes also are going to need chemotherapy or radiation. Again, all of this is managed by a gynecologic oncologist. But good news, in most cases, uh, women who've been treated for uterine cancer can safely take estrogen without increasing their risk of recurrence. So there you have it. Lose the weight. Talk to your relatives. Get off the couch. Eliminate the sugary drinks. But most important, most important, never ever ignore heavy bleeding, strange bleeding, abnormal bleeding, or constant spotting. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. Thank you.